0: Welcome to the Vineyard Church of Greater Portland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Mario Mastin. For more podcasts and other resources, please visit www.vineyardportland.org. Okay, so this is Palm Sunday, right? And, um, you know, uh, on this day every year, Christians... um, uh make a, a journey, kind of like from the Mount of Olives um, into Jerusalem, and they carry palms, branches, and they kind of reenact and celebrate um, the triumphal entry, so-called, of Jesus into Jerusalem. And today, what I want to do is I want to um, look at, uh, just briefly with you, um, a passage actually out of Matthew's Gospel. I was going to do Luke, but I've decided to do Matthew's account of where Jesus enters into Jerusalem uh, on that first, what we refer to now as Palm Sunday. Uh, And he was doing that in order to celebrate Passover. Um, And as uh, Russ mentioned last week, and thanks to Russ, by the way, for preaching for us and bringing that word last week, which I heard this week and really enjoyed. Um, But he mentioned that Jesus obviously was, um, when he was talking last week about the encounters he had in Jericho, he was on the road to Jerusalem and he knew that when he got to Jerusalem, um, he was not just going to celebrate Passover together with his disciples, but ultimately he was going to offer himself up um, for the sins of the world. And so uh, <clears throat> Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, ostensibly anyway, to celebrate Passover with all the other pilgrims that are making their way into Jerusalem. This is what Matthew says, and I, wanna, I just want to look simply at this passage today and what it says to us about Jesus, but not just what it says to us about Jesus back there then, but what it implies for us about Jesus in our lives now. What the you know uh, the triumphal entry has to say about us and the way that we live and what we can experience in our relationship with the Lord now. So let me just read the passages out of Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. It says this, when they had come near to Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them. And he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet saying, tell the daughters of Zion, look, Your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. So, what's going on here with this triumphal entry? And how is this really relevant to our lives? Well, obviously it's relevant to our lives as we're going to celebrate next weekend at Easter because this is the precursor to the cross, right? Which is the most consequential event, together with the resurrection, in human history. So obviously it has that consequence for us in terms of the fact when Jesus died on the cross, as we were reminded by Kathy this morning, when he went into Jerusalem, he went into that city and ultimately to his death for you and I personally. Not just en masse, although he did die for the sins of the world, he died for us personally. Christ died on that cross for you to pay for your sins so that if you put your faith and trust in him... You can receive his spirit, be born from above, as Jesus described it. Become a part of his kingdom, his family. Know that your sins are forgiven. Know that you have an inheritance in him. uh, Together with all the saints in light, as Paul says. And and you have a destiny that will never end and will be fully realized. Eon upon eon. I don't even know how to describe that forever with God. So obviously it has that consequence, but what does the triumphal entry have beyond something we look back on and celebrate as an event that took place prior to Easter in the Christian calendar? What's the significance of what took place this day for us? Well, there's two things I want to—I I simply want to relate this morning. The first is this. Jesus is revealed as king in this particular uh, tableau that takes place. Jesus doesn't actually say that he's Israel's king in this encounter, but his actions reveal that he is. There are actually two Old Testament realities that have to do with kingship that are played out in this scene as Jesus enters into Jerusalem that confirms that he is king. Not just prophet. He is a prophet. He is the prophet of God, the greater prophet of God. But he is king as well. And the first is the parallel and reminder of Israel's first king. And the other is the prophecy of Zechariah that's actually uh, in part quoted here that has to do with Israel's messianic king. So in the first instance, you've got 1 Samuel chapter 10, which is the account of Saul who was first declared king over Israel to be ruler over Israel. And the fact that if you read that account, um, donkeys had to be found for him and he rode with those donkeys into Gilgal and Mitzpah where he was then anointed king. And in a sense, that's kind of like an Old Testament picture and parallel if we fast forward to the scene that we see on Palm Sunday when Jesus mounts that cult and rides into Jerusalem. Remember, he's already been declared to be by his father, the son of God. He's already been anointed with the spirit of God as the chosen one. And now he is being revealed as king. And he rides into Jerusalem and he specifically tells his disciples, doesn't he? Go find those donkeys and bring them to me. The second reality is represented by the scene of Jesus as recounted by Zechariah 9:9 which says rejoice greatly o daughter of zion shout aloud it's okay sometimes to shout aloud you know there's a place for reverence and there's a place for stillness and there's a place for quiet and there's a place to shout there's a time to shout rejoice greatly o daughters of zion don't whisper shout aloud O daughter of Jerusalem, lo, your king comes to you, triumphant, not defeated, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In this scripture, which Matthew uh, uses in an abbreviated form to signify that Jesus is king over Israel, the first thing we see is, That is so because he fulfilled the prophecy relative to the Messiah in this regard. Jesus did that. So he was fulfilling a messianic prophecy with this act. And in doing that, signified his kingship. Jesus did exactly what Zechariah prophesied the Messiah would do. Namely, ride into that city of Jerusalem, the capital... In humility on this cult. And as he did so he revealed that he was king. Now it's interesting to see in the text how some people responded to him. And how others did. You know we're told that the whole city was actually in tumult. I mean it was this was a big thing. I mean this was bigger than some movie star coming to town. Or some Politician. God forbid. Uh, or, or, or something else. This was this guy who had captured the imagination of people. They'd heard rumors about this guy. They'd heard about the things he'd done. Some of them had seen the things that he'd done. He was coming into the city. And the whole city was in tumult over the fact that he was arriving. And there were some. I believe, who recognized him for who he really was. I think that was probably few. There were some who recognized that he was some kind of prophet from God. There were others who really didn't know what to make of him. And there were others who were his sworn enemies. There was a whole combination of reactions and responses among those people in Jerusalem as he rode in. And you know, that's the truth, isn't it? Down over the past couple millennia, right up to and including today, people respond to Jesus in different ways. Some see him for who he really is. Some think, well, he's some kind of religious figure. I mean, that teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, that seems pretty good humanistic stuff. We can, we can incorporate that in. He's maybe he's some kind of religious figure, some kind of prophet. Some like, I don't know what to make of this guy. Was he a revolutionary? Was he a conservative traditionalist? I I don't know. And then others are his sworn enemies. Enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies of Jesus. Intent on undermining his purpose. And his kingdom in the earth. Even today. So those different reactions. Have resonated. Really down through the last couple millennia. And they're present with us today. On that first Palm Sunday, those who did see Jesus for the king that he actually was and realized that he was bringing Zechariah's prophecy to fulfillment. And that prophecy was that he would bring peace to the nations. And, quote, his dominion, I'm spraying, his dominion from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Zechariah 9, verse 10. That he would bring peace to the nations. That his dominion. His rule. His reign. His kingly authority. From sea to sea. From the river to the ends of the earth. But the reality is. This peace. And this dominion of his kingdom. Differed so different. It differed so much. At this point. In its manifestation. From what. They expected, didn't it? I mean, if Russ even talked about this last week in the message, that there was, this, there, there was this expectation that the Messiah would come and eradicate Roman rule and overlordship and destroy it and establish an external authority and kingdom manifest for all to see. But that isn't what Jesus did, is it? No, it isn't. They expected that, but he didn't eradicate and wipe out the Roman Empire and all evil and establish, uh, you know, Israel in the way that one day he will and, and from the capital Jerusalem rule. That isn't what happened. That's something that's coming later in the unfolding of God's purpose. But he came to do something in the human heart first. That the place where that dominion would reign. The place where that peace would take hold. Would first be internal, not external. The external day is coming. But right now, in this age, what Jesus is doing is establishing his kingdom in the human heart. Transforming the mind. Filling the spirit with the light of his revelation. And then through that, impacting the external world around us. We are supposed to do that. We're not supposed to just sit back in some kind of resigned state. Like, well, I've got mine now. The world can go to hell in a handbasket and we don't have to impact it. No, we're supposed to impact the world around us with the love and grace and power of God. But it first has to happen inside. And then what happens outside corresponds to it, right? Now we're on the same page, that's good. So the triumphal entry, we recognize Jesus as King because his peace reigns in our lives. That's where there's a correspondence between what took back, place back then and the prophecy that went with it and the reality of our experience as we walk it out with Jesus. Now there's a time when that peace is gonna fill the entire earth, right? But right now, it's in here. The dominion of his kingdom takes up residence in our hearts, in our lives, through his spirit, through the governance of the Holy Spirit. When we see Jesus as king, the one with authority and power, he is then, and he becomes for us what Paul describes as our peace in Ephesians 2.14. And I believe that means not just in a positional sense through the cross, although that's obviously true, but experientially through the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, isn't peace one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Yes, Yes, it is. So when God takes up residence in our lives, the dominion of his rule and reign begins to usher into our experience something called peace so that no matter what the turmoil that may be swirling around our lives, and I really believe this. Oh, thank you. Is it that bad? Okay, thanks. Appreciate it. Ryan is faithful. At the life group in their house, he's constantly playing me with water over the last five weeks. (laughs) Thank you, man. You're faithful. Appreciate it. Um, I actually believe that Look, we all deal at times with turmoil and trouble and stuff that goes on, right? Stuff happens. Stuff happens. But God has given us something in Christ that allows our lives not to be racked by and controlled by the externals. Now, we have a choice as to whether we respond to what's available to us. Uh, Plenty of times I've not done that, and I've allowed the turmoil and trouble around me to completely dominate my responses, my thinking, my words, my actions. But I know when I don't do that, and I look to God for his enabling grace and reliance on the Holy Spirit for his peace, he is faithful to usher it into my life. In the midst of the circumstance and the situation, he may not change the circumstance, but he will change you and your reaction to it and empower you to be able to walk through that in a Christ like way so that your thoughts are your thinking's actually transformed in the midst of the stuff. I love this. Paul says in Romans 1620 <coughs> Excuse me. That we can know the God of peace, and he says who will shortly crush Satan under your feet. I love that phrase. Will shortly crush Satan under your feet. Now, I think he was probably speaking there both eschatologically, just means like in the future, when the kingdom comes in fullness, and the enemy gets completely crushed. But I also think that there's an experiential component to that in our journey now. That we actually, through the authority of Jesus' name and his life and his spirit living in us, we can effectively walk in the reality of that statement that Paul makes. Two things were present on that first Palm Sunday that are present today. The first is, there's lots of turmoil and trouble. You looked around the world lately? Ain't changed. There's a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of trouble, there's a lot of stuff going on and then that's on the general level and then on the personal level sometimes turmoil and and stuff and trouble impacts our lives where we live you know job otherwise known as job good old job said this he knew a lot about turmoil and trouble and in job 5 7 it says Human beings are born to trouble just as sparks fly upward. Part of the deal, it's inevitable. Get human, fallen human beings together, there's trouble. It's axiomatic, it's gonna happen. It just is the way it is. Sparks fly upward, get human beings together, there's gonna be trouble. Because they act out of that place of brokenness. And the truth is, that's the common reality of every human being on this planet. We're broken. Toil and trouble may be inevitable in a broken world, and it is. It can come to us personally in lots of different shapes and sizes. We can get agitated in our spirit about health concerns. That are real and pressing. That can cause us to be agitated in our spirit and worried. Threats about our economic security at times. Jobs or lack thereof. Pressures on important relationships in our lives. That we're really concerned about. Opposition to our commitment to follow Jesus. Parenthetically, Jesus said, if there isn't any opposition, there's probably a problem with how you're following i mean you didn't say it exactly like that that's kind of a paraphrase <coughs> excuse me sometimes big ticket changes uh that happen and uncertainties over which we have absolutely zero control and then together with all of that there is this enemy out there there is a we as Christians believe that there is a personality of evil. The evil is personified. It's not just some force floating around you know, through, the, you know, uh, through the atmosphere. It's not the power, negative power of the force. We believe in a personification of evil. The Bible describes that personification as the devil, as, as Satan. Paul uses that language himself many times. And says that he's constantly seeking to cause us to live in a state of turmoil internally. So that that peace that's ours from being in Christ is not something that we enjoy and experience. I don't believe that Satan can do anything to change our eternal destiny once we put our faith in Jesus. And we receive the benefit of the atoning death of his cross on our behalf. His spirit comes to live in us. I believe we're sealed unto the day of redemption. But he can certainly mess if we give him room with our life and what we experience in the journey with God. It's not surprising in the the, uh, scripture that, that this enemy is described as, with a small g, the God of this world. A world characterized by trouble. And yet, Here's the good thing. While both of those things are true, when we recognize Jesus as king and we really allow him and give him place to reign in our hearts, he overcomes that turmoil and trouble even if the circumstances around us don't change. Jesus said this. This is a promise to you and I. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. That you may actually have peace. That you may possess peace. In this world you will have trouble. Now this is Jesus now speaking. From his lips to our ears. He says in this world you will have trouble. Just like in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble. And here's the kicker at the end. But take heart. Don't be overwhelmed by the trouble. Don't live in a place of uh, hopelessness because of the trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And Jesus said this, by the way, before he'd even gone to the cross. I have overcome the world. And where are we? We're hit with Christ and God. We are in him. We are in Christ now. We are in the one who has overcome the world. And he promises to you and I a peace that we can possess and know and experience. This is something that God gives us as we submit to his authority in our lives. Instead of living life consigned to constant anxiety uh, and fear and stress. And these are all things that we have to contend with at times. I haven't met a Christian yet that hasn't. But I think what Jesus is saying here, and the good news really contained in this triumphal entry about his kingdom authority and the fact that he came to bring peace, is that that can actually be a, a reality in our lives. And so Paul says, thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I know in this context Paul's talking about the resurrection. But the truth is, God brings a conquering peace into our hearts and into our lives. The victory that is ours practically in life is the victory of a promise and of a presence. And that promise and that presence brings a conquering peace into our experience through God. So just as Jesus entered Jerusalem as the Prince of Peace... Here's the thing, he enters into our daily lives as the Prince of Peace. We're not just to see him on that donkey a couple thousand years ago riding into Jerusalem. It's good to remember that because of all that that meant ultimately. But what I'm trying to say this morning is... He's here to enter into our lives now is the prince of peace to bring that governing peace into our experience so that whatever the circumstances and the situation is that you're dealing with right now in different ways in your life whether it's an economic thing a health thing a relational thing whatever it may be that's a big amen coming there right there he's there with his governing peace, and I just lost everyone. <laughs> but it's worth it, listen, it's worth it. <clears throat> I love Paul, and he said, "The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus." I don't think Paul didn't have any doubt about that. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's the image and the language there of garrisoning our mind. Like setting a garrison up around and protecting us. The other thing I want you to see is this this morning and then I'll be done. Jesus just isn't just revealed as king. Jesus is received as king. It says the crowds went ahead of him and that those that were following shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And as Jim was leading us in worship this morning, and we went into that Hosanna chorus there. It's just so cool. We're like two millennia removed from this description, and yet, together with all God's people, we we enter into that Hosanna chorus of praise to our God and lift him up. And those who came uh, with Jesus from Galilee to celebrate Passover... And those who came from the city to meet him. They received him as king. Now I know I said earlier there were lots of different reactions and there were. There were those within the city that were his sworn enemies. There were those that didn't know what to make of him. But this initial response here on on, uh, the part of uh, many of the people there was to receive him. And to hail him with those hosannas. Uh, And they formed this procession of praise and they're shouting these words... And most of these uh, you know, uh, come from Psalm 118, 25, 26. It's the song of victory. It's the great halal. It's the praise of the Passover. And they used this word, Hosanna, which originally meant save, save. But which over time came to form a blessing and also an acclaim. And that's the way it's kind of being used with respect to Jesus here. And the phrase, the son of David, speaks directly to Jesus as the Messiah king. They received him as the one who came in the name of the Lord. And they cried, Hosanna in the highest. is another way of saying, glory to God in the highest. And Jesus is received not only because he's revealed to be king, but because he embraced the identity of Of the Messiah. Again. It's just as with the prophecy of Zechariah. Cited by Matthew. Now with the song of victory from the Psalms. The crowd shouts. Jesus actually says nothing himself. About himself. It's the act. Of accepting that praise. Of the people. Of riding into Jerusalem. As I said a moment ago. In prophetic fulfillment. Of Zechariah's words. That he is fully embracing his identity. As a messianic king. And with this act. He's also making it clear. To those who had eyes to see. In the city of Jerusalem. The city of David. That the son of David was present among them. To be received as the anointed one. The one long promised to Israel. And that's. People of the city and the pilgrims, they gathered for Passover. They had a choice to make on that occasion. They could receive Jesus for who he is, or they could reject him, and as Jim mentioned earlier, miss the moment of God's coming to them in the form of his son. You know, the same is true today. Hasn't changed, has it? We have a decision to make with respect to Jesus. We can either receive him for who he is. We can categorize him as something else. Or we can reject him entirely. We have that choice to make. And ultimately in this story, and tragically, the very crowds that initially are receiving him with the palm branches and the hosannas in the highest very quickly turn on a dime and are quickly rejecting the one that initially they acclaimed. And rhetorically, speaking of their reaction and the city's response, Jesus says, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. They missed out on what could have been at that point because they didn't recognize that God was visiting them in his son. Now God of course was able to in his plan and sovereignty and grace take that whole of reception and then reaction and rejection and incorporate that all into the way that he orchestrated uh, the unfolding of his plan of Jesus going to the cross uh, and dying for the sins of the world. When we receive Jesus as kingdom, his salvation rules in our lives because he is the one that came to save. And that word save is more than just like, you know, the idea that often is used when people are trying to illustrate this of a drowning man and somebody throws a lifeline in and they pull him out. There is that aspect of it. But this this understanding of salvation in Jesus is a much bigger, full-orbed deliverance that God is doing. Not just saving us from the consequences of our sin, but saving us unto an inheritance in Him, and a life in Him, in the Spirit. His salvation rules in our lives. The delivering power and authority of the King. Anybody ever read anything by Dallas Willard? few people, uh, great guy to read, especially on spiritual disciplines, but so many other things. Dallas Willard, he went home to be with the Lord a few years ago now, a couple years ago, I think, two or three years. Um, but he says we shouldn't spend our time uh, and energy on sin management. And he, I think he's absolutely right, like sin management The futile exercise of trying to manage the old nature and restrain it and restrain its propensity to sin. That's not what God's called us to, I don't believe. We're supposed to be spending our lives walking in the enabling and empowerment of the Spirit. If we're walking in the Spirit, we won't have to worry about managing sin. I hope you get that. If we walk in the spirit, we won't have to spend our time preoccupied with managing sin. We're in Christ now. Now, please don't hear me say, oh, is he talking about complete sanctification? No, I'm not. I understand that's a process in life, right? Right? But what I am saying is we've been called unto life. The delivering power of God's salvation. Not only sets us free from the penalty of sin. I believe it sets us free from the power of sin. To the extent that we are willing to be obedient to him. Exercise faith in him. And walk in the ways of the spirit. And as Paul says keep in step with the spirit. Thanks be to God, Paul says, who in Christ, look at these words, always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads in every place, in every place, the fragrance that comes from knowing him. That is an absolutely stunning combination of verses. Paul doesn't say thanks be to God who once in a while leads us in triumph. On a good day. Thanks be to God, who in Christ, who always leads us in triumphal procession because it's not our victory, it's His. We get in on it because of Him. And through us, spreads in every place the fragrance that comes from knowing Him. Uh, Do you know, you are a fragrance disseminator. I don't know how else to put it. You, you are, everywhere you go, you have the potentiality in Jesus of making known the fragrance that comes, the aroma that comes with being in him and having him in you, being around him. So that others can get in on that aroma too. You know, if someone comes into the room and they're wearing, like, if it's a lady and she's wearing, you know, some kind of really nice perfume or a guy's wearing some, you know, decent cologne or something, and you get it off of that, it's like, wow, give me some more of that. Not the greatest illustration, I can't think of anything else right now. (laughs) But the point is, we are supposed to make known the fragrance of Jesus. In the places where we live. In the, you know, the neighborhoods. The people around us. The places where we work. Right? Every sphere of life that God puts us in. Is a place where we can make the aroma of Jesus known. Now we can't walk around with our heads in the cloud. Got, people have got jobs. You've got responsibilities. Things to do. Right? You've got to focus on cognitively. You've got to use your body. But the reality is in your spirit resides the spirit of the Holy One. And what you do is making him... That's why wherever we are, whatever it is God has called us to do, it is equally significant for the sake of the kingdom. And I don't just say that to make us feel good. That is the truth. If He always leads us in triumphal procession and through us, through us, spreads... Everywhere, every place, the fragrance that comes from knowing him, that means we are all involved in spreading the aroma of Christ. And causing people to be at in a sense, if I can extend that metaphor, breathe in the reality of who he is. So, the king has come this morning. He has. We just need to receive him. We need to recognize Him. We need to receive Him. And when we do, His peace will begin to work in our lives. And we'll find ourselves being able to respond in situations differently than we previously could. Instead of fear, we'll be at a rest in Him. And let His salvation just kind of, that deliverance that comes with Jesus into His life, allow us and empower us through the spirit to make him known every word a word a look a simple act of kindness you know blessed is the one who comes in the name of the lord right that's what was said of jesus when we go there is a sense in which we are blessed In the name of the Lord, as we go and make Jesus known to those around us. So let's do that. Let's do that. And let's stand.